not in Kansas anymore. You have my curiosity. Are you telling me you built a time machine? The force will be with Hello and welcome back to the Get Real Podcast, the podcast where we get real about all your favourite pop culture films and TV shows. I'm Chris and with me is my ex-military, mercenary, man-on-the-run co-host, Sam. Well, I mean, the only mercenary I am is a mercenary from Call of Duty, mate, and that's pretty much as far as we go. Do you know what? Because we've been playing so much Call of Duty lately, every gun in this, I was like, yep, that's what that is with this attachment. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. even noticed halfway through, because he gets a different weapon, that he's got a different optic on it, and I was like, I know this. <laughs> anyway, we're talking about Extraction, the new Chris Hemsworth Netflix jobby from the Russo brothers and Sam Hargrave. There we go. Who's Andy Park? He uh, wrote the original comic book and then had a hand in writing the script. Uh, I thought you were getting mixed up with the uh, renowned Ray Park, who is the Darth Maul actor because of all (laughs) the flips and stunts and stuff that was in this. No, I'm talking about Andy Parks. Well, there was more stunts, a lack of flips, some would say. (laughs) Flipping of other people. People flipping other people was in here. Flipping people off. Yeah, well, there was a bit of that. There was a bit bit of that. that. Yeah, we're going to talk all about Extraction. This actually had quite a lot of good reviews leading up to it, didn't it? So I'm actually quite excited to... I haven't seen anything. I saw the trailer and then I watched the film today. Yeah, I'm actually quite excited to chat about this. But first, Chris, as always, how are you holding up in lockdown? You thought I was going to go into news then, didn't Uh, you? I did. I did. I thought you were going to (laughs) drop straight into the news. Free Um, your curveball. you You know what? I've had a better week this week than last week. Um, That's good. It's gone very quick. I feel like the weeks are getting quicker. Either that or just my perception of time is just distorting because I can't tell between one day and the next. <laughs> I think recording this podcast kind of helps in a weird way because we're like, yeah, it that's kind of been a week. caps off the week, yeah. Yeah, we know it's getting to the, the end of a, a good week in lockdown when we get to sit down and catch up and record this podcast. Yeah, have you held up, mate? I've been all right, mate. I've been doing the old couch to 5K, the whole running situation. I've uh, got into that. I'm on run four, week two. Very good. I'm absolutely (laughs) struggling. It is like, it has been like Spanish weather today where we're from. It has been so hot. Yeah. Yeah. It's been tropical, but it's, uh, yeah, it's it's good, man. It's keeping me distracted, you know, and it's important that we talk, you know, we don't just go straight into talking about new movies and stuff. It's good that we chat about a little bit about it's good us, to you touch know, base. Yeah, it let is. the listeners out there know that we're doing okay and, you know, we're we're getting there. How are so. the listeners holding up? Well, we'll just have to give a big gap of silence while they, they tell yeah, us, Chris. Yeah. Hey, oh. not really. Right, let's great. get into news, mate. That's let's great. get into news. Let's get into news. Go on then, hit me with the first big news drop. You can tweet at us and let us know how you're getting on, and you can message us on Instagram and just let us know. Let us know. We care. We want to know how you're getting on. First news story. There's a lot of Star Wars news this week, mate. There's quite a a bit. Excellent. Uh, Some would say an excessive amount. So the first bit that we've got is all about The Mandalorian. So the first two stories come from The Mandalorian. We have the season two episode titles that have been revealed. Mm. So we get to have a little look in and see... Uh, what the episodes are going to be based on. Uh, they are very, very conspicuous. 
And obviously, if you don't want to know anything about Season 2 of The Mandalorian, then just skip ahead about five minutes or so, and yeah, we'll uh, make sure that you're not exposed to any kind of spoilers. Potential spoilers. We don't know what's happening. Potential spoilers. We will deep dive and go into what we think is going to happen. So, yeah. Okay. Do you want me to run through these? If you have them in front of you, Chris, absolutely. I've got them in front of me. Okay. So, Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 1. Chapter 1, The Search, followed by Chapter 2, The Confrontation, followed by Chapter 3, The Bounty, Chapter 3, The Bounty, followed by Chapter 4, The, Re- followed by chapter four, the Republic, Sam, that's followed by Chapter 5, The Loyalist, and then after that, Chapter 6, The Sorcerer, after that, Chapter 7, The Return, and Chapter 8, The Empire. What do you make of the title, Sam? So yeah, I actually think these give away a little bit more than what we thought. I think it it helps a little bit knowing that uh, we've got Ahsoka Tano, we presume, Mm -hmm. in Season 2. Rosario Dawson herself. Exactly. Fantastic casting. So the search, the confrontation, the bounty, very vague. I think the bounty might either be a new bounty or it might be referring back to the child, maybe. Um, Possibly. You know, we leave off with Moff Gideon with his dark yeah. saber there isn't an episode called the dark saber but i imagine maybe the confrontation might be like an early uh confrontation so to speak between i'm thinking possibly the search is related to him launching the search for the mandalorian and the child again mm. and then the conf- it the episode will end with him possibly confronting the mandalorian or maybe somebody else maybe ahsoka Tano. Because we need to think, like, I don't think the Mandalorian will be able to take on the Darksaber, whereas a lightsaber could. And maybe the search is the search for someone for the child, because that's where it leaves off on season two. Mm, it leaves off yeah. with him going to find someone to look after it, one of the yeah. child's kind, so to speak. So maybe that's what that is. It would make sense. Searching for the home planet of the the Yoda species. The Yoda species. Do you reckon mm. we'll get more Yoda species? I reckon we'll get some sort of conclusion to that by the end of the season in some mm. form, whether that's either finding more of his species or finding out where they're from or even getting a name for the species for the first time in Star Wars history. Yeah. I think cool. we're going to get something along those lines at some point. Yeah. So then we've got the Republic, the Loyalist, and the Sorcerer. What do you think mm. of these three? Um, I reckon the Sorcerer is probably going to be Ahsoka Tano. Okay. So, do we think we'll have to wait six episodes to be introduced to her? Maybe. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd, I'd imagine yeah. maybe that they'd keep the cards close to the chest. Because that'll be the beginning of the third act, won't it, of the season? Yeah. I reckon so, that... Or if, the end of the second. If Ahsoka was going to be such a prominent part of the series, potentially we would see her in the first, like, a full reveal in the first trailer that we get. There isn't a trailer for the season two yet, but... It'd reckon... probably be like one of those big stingers. It's just like it flashes up, The Mandalorian Season 2, and then it fades to black, and then it'll just fade in. It'll just be her like looking up into the camera, being a badass. Yeah, or maybe we just see a lightsaber ignite. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, two lightsabers. Just something tasteful like that. So, And then we have The Return and The Empire. So I think The Return is probably where we might get Ahsoka Tano and it might set up Season 3 that has already been greenlit and put into post-production this week as well. Yeah. 
So that was the next bit of news, wasn't it? Season three's already in production. I think it's it'll be early story arc drafting, I reckon, at this point. And I think that maybe they've been that happy with obviously what how season two has been. And season one's been awesome anyway. That's had such a good reception, yeah. especially off the back of Rise of Skywalker as well, where people were a little bit divided on it, obviously. But I don't know, man. I think the return might be where we get Ahsoka. If not, we'll get her at the beginning. Or if not, she'll have a smaller role and settle for season three. Maybe, yeah. Maybe the sorcerer is... They find out about her or they know of a force wielder or something and they're referring to her as the sorcerer maybe. And then, so that's the search for the sorcerer and then the return is when she comes back in episode seven maybe. So have you seen Rebels, Chris? I've seen all but most of the final season, I think. <laughs> would you mind me covering off Rebels spoilers? Or would yeah. you rather... Go ahead, okay. shoot. Okay, Because I do know what happens in it. I just haven't seen it. So for listeners that haven't watched Rebels and don't want to know anything, go check out the last season and then come back. It's a great show. It's a very good show. I mean, we've got The Clone Wars right now that's on its last season. Um, it's a perfect, if you're binging that, to go straight into Rebels, if you're that hardcore. But anyway, at the end of Rebels, I'm sure we get Ahsoka Tano. She's in her old, um, like, cloaked get-up. She's in, like, proper Jedi Zen get-up. Um, but yeah. I'm sure Sabine Wren stays with her as well. Because I think Ezra goes off to do his own thing. And then Sabine stays with, or she finds Ahsoka at the end. So maybe there's a tie-in there with Sabine Wren, the Mandalorian, and Ahsoka Tano. Maybe that is what ties them together. Maybe the Mandalorian meets with Sabine Wren, who, who then refers him to Ahsoka, maybe, because he has a Force wielder. Um, that'd be very cool. That's going down the rabbit hole a little bit. But it would yeah. be very cool if they kept Sabine Wren under wraps for now, because in terms of casting, you wouldn't. You just need to cast a voice. You just you you could just have her underneath a helmet. You wouldn't actually have to see a face. You know what I mean? So it could, it's totally doable. At the end of Rebels, who was left off with the dark saber? Was it Sabine, Sabine. or was it Bo Katana? Uh, so it's a very very good point. I can't think off the top of my head. Potent- I know we checked this when we were. Re- Covered the Mandalorian episode, and I can't remember. Yeah, see, from what I remember, Ahsoka goes full grey Jedi. She's like proper get up. You know what I yeah, mean? She's, uh, that, she's yeah, she's known as like Fulcrum, isn't she? Fulgrim, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's her like throughout the throughout the uh, series. That's her code name um, for the rebels and stuff, so that they don't know that it's her. I'm just trying to remember. Uh, I I don't know, man. I don't can't remember whether Sabine ends up with the dark saber or not. I'm From what just I remember, it now. she'll either she either returns back to Mandalore with it and gives it back to them, or she retains it herself but i think there's like a from what i remember i think there's like a weird arc where she maybe doesn't want to have it for whatever mandalorian sentimental reasons um but i mean i'm sure listeners will know and know that answer i know the thread that i'm pulling at there but yeah i think it'd be very cool i think sabine would be a nice little surprise cameo that they could easily keep under wraps and 
think it'd just be really interesting to have her in live action as well because there is a massive setup at the end of rebels if you watch it there's a huge setup they're clearly trying to set something up so i've just double checked at the end of rebels bo katan has the dark saber except of the sword and memory of her sister satane and she becomes the mandalore she becomes the leader of the mandalore isn't she known yeah. as the mandalore yeah cool. and then and then we see moff gideon with it in Maybe that's the part of the search. Maybe he goes back to Mandalore and yeah. meets with her because she's a high figure in Mandalore now. And then yeah. she well, she's sends the highest him. figure. Yeah. yeah, and she sends him on the quest. That'd be that'd be a cool, cool. And also, we get to see more Mandalorians, which is always cool. Biggest question from these titles is in terms of the Empire, because obviously we see in the Mandalorian, and obviously we know from the sequels and stuff that. The Empire broke down in this time. Like, these are the last remnants of the Empire, essentially. Yeah. Um, kind of getting driven underground, aren't they? Because it's like the return and the Empire. Is this, like, the downfall of the Empire? Is this, like... Or is this, like, the last legs? Or is it building up towards the First Order? I think where this is based in the Star Wars universe, I think it's way too early for it to be leading up to, like, the First Order and stuff. I think you might see threads and stuff that will link to it, but it's right after the fall of the Empire. That's why you still have Empire loyalists and stuff. Yeah. That's why I'm wondering why the final episode of the season is called The Empire. It's interesting. Maybe we get, like... Know the reveal of seasons episode seven was it of the last mm. season where Moff Gideon lands and you see like how many stormtroopers there are there and stuff. Mm. You got mm. flame troopers and death troopers and everything. Yeah, like maybe this one will like end episode seven. Maybe or be like a crap or maybe like a uh, small army. Maybe the last remnants of the Empire all together, and maybe mm. we see a face off against them and the Mandalorians. Maybe. Mm. Maybe. Well, we've got a lot to look forward to, Chris. War but before for the that, Dark Saber. On May the 4th, we'll be getting the first edition of Disney Gallery, which is a docuseries that goes behind the scenes of Disney Plus TV series. First one is on The Mandalorian, thus why it's relevant for us to talk about now. Yeah, and we it's spoke hosted. about that last week, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, and we had the first trailer, kind of look at the layout okay. and how the show is going to be. Have you watched this yet? No, I haven't seen the trailer now. No, so it's pretty cool. It's like a round table thing and they flick okay. between the directors on a round table and the cast on a round table, which is pretty cool. There's absolutely tons and tons and tons of behind the scenes footage. So they were quite clearly had this in mind as part mm-hmm. of Disney Plus when they shot The Mandalorian season 1. It looks yeah. amazing. It looks really cool. Um obviously everything is it's not just like a behind the scenes that you get on a Blu-ray. It's a full production. So you get lots of looks at Baby Yoda. You get a lot of stories. It's hosted by John Favreau, which is very cool. And yeah, I'm actually quite excited. I think it'll be a nice little tie-in when it gets to May, waiting for season two in October. I think it'll be a nice little, nice little link yeah, between definitely. the two. It'll be a season long, as far as I'm aware. There'll be multiple episodes of this. It won't just be a one-off. Okay. Uh, and it's going to stream every Friday on Disney+. Plus. Very cool. That gives us something new to watch then, doesn't it? Very cool. Yeah. So I am I excited over... about that. I the behind the scenes of the Star Wars films are always great. Mm-hmm. Like it, no matter what you think of the actual film itself, the behind the scenes is always fascinating to watch. Like I remember when the prequels were coming out and like I was getting them all on DVD when they were coming out and stuff. And I remember for Revenge of the Sith, I watched it 
And then I watched, it must have been about six hours worth of behind the scenes on there. And there was like an hour long one just about how they made the lava for the Battle of Mustafa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy, like, and it was isn't fascinating, it? yeah. Yeah, they always do a really good job of the behind-the-scenes stuff. And you'll be surprised when you watch this. Obviously, the Mandalorian's already been praised for the use of the, the 360 screen and stuff that they have in there. So you get mm-hmm. lots and lots of shots of that. Excellent. And the, the cast and the directors talking through how they used it. But then you also get lots of shots at uh, IG... Um, can't remember the It's not number. It's not IG-88. It's not 86 either. It is, it is the other IG droid. Um, <laughs> the one yeah, voiced by Taika Waititi. No. Yeah. Taika Waititi, yeah, 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 yeah. So you get a lot, a bit of a look at how that is. And I think when you watch this, you'll be surprised at how much in this is actually practical. Like, it's really, really cool. Do you know what I would be interested in? If they start bringing that technology over to the Marvel properties as well. Instead of using such heavy CGI, maybe they go towards using this a bit more. I mean, we could see, like, you'll probably find that the difference is then, instead of the endgame sequence, when you see the behind the scenes of that, and it's literally just a huge green screen, mm-hmm. it is a massive step forward, and the results show themselves. Plus, it's a yeah. lot less work, so it means that turnarounds on stuff will probably be a lot better. You yeah. Know? So, and plus I, I it think it- they would probably find a happy mix of both. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that you'll also get more attention given to other areas and stuff of the the actual visual effects team and stuff as well so yeah. i mean you gotta look at the mandalorian as a tv series it looks phenomenal absolutely well, that's the looks- thing i think the main reason they probably didn't use that on endgame was because you need to think endgame and infinity war shot back to back so that was really filmed when it come out 2019 that was shot back in like 2017 i think they were working on the endgame sections so we probably didn't have the technology so, in 2017. Yeah, it was like so. first coming about like end of 2017, 2018, I think it was. Yeah. I know I didn't hear about it until like end of 2018. Mm, so do you want to touch on the next Star Wars story we've got? Yes, so the new Star Wars series coming to Disney Plus is going to be from the Russian doll co-creator. So you noticed that she was at the Rise of Skywalker premiere, didn't you? There was a photo of her there, and I was saying to you, I was getting my tinfoil hat on and being like, they knew this the whole time, they knew about it, they, you know, they always get the bloody people that you just be like, who's this, and what are they doing at a Star Wars premiere, and it's always because they're doing something on Star Wars. Yeah, so this is Leslie Headland. Have you seen Russian I- Doll? No, I haven't watched it yet. No, I've not. I've not. But I've heard it's meant to be good. It did well, really I, well at the end. I know Emmys. the lead actress as well, which I want to find out. Uh, she was in American Pie and stuff like that. She was at the premiere as well, I think. I think I saw her in photos. Uh, uh, Natasha, Natasha Leon. Leon. There you go. So I think they were at the premiere together. They must have known something was happening, like you said. Get your tinfoil hat on, Chris. What do you think? <laughs> Maybe she's going to be, be casting it as well. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she was really good in Orange is the New Black as well. Yeah, she is. Yeah, definitely. Do we have any details on what this series is going to be about? I know you read the article fully. Nope, not as of yet. It's just a still untitled show. will join the Mandalorian as well as the upcoming Rogue One prequel series following Diego Luna's Cassian Andor. 
at some point we'll also get Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan, but the status of that bad boy is a bit up in the air right now. Yeah, that's delayed indefinitely, isn't it? Yeah, so she also directed a few episodes, so we'll probably find her taking on a similar role that Jon Favreau did, where she was like producing, creating, and then directing as well. And I mean, more Star Wars is not bad Star Wars. (laughs) We will not complain about more Star Wars. Nope, absolutely not. So that brings the Star Wars train to a halt and we have screeching halt absolutely screeching halt it was firing through the news then and what is our next story chris our next story is we have an announcement of the venom 2 title venom 2 is going to be called venom let there be carnage thoughts it's a very wordy i'm not a big fan of it i'm not a fan of wordy titles anyway i didn't like the rise of skywalker i mean that that followed in line with the Star Wars title, so it didn't bother me too much. And like some of my favorite films have got long names, like Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and stuff like that. Like it's very worthy, mm. but this just it just felt a bit weird. I said to you, like, why didn't they call it Absolute Carnage or Maximum Carnage or something like that? I tell you but what, it is. They're, Chris. they're clearly taking the words that he said at the end of the film. He said it's going to be Carnage. Because he almost builds like this cult-like following in the comic books and stuff like that. Whenever he's going on like these big, huge story arcs and stuff, he always tries to make like a a carnage cult around him. So maybe he's taking like the biblical references of like "Let there be light" and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, true. Actually, true. I reckon they're trying to go confident on this. I reckon it's a confident title. It's the kind of title that you wouldn't put out if you were trying to be safe. It's yeah. definitely a ballsy move. And it might mean that the style of the film might be a lot different to what we got in Venom 2, which I don't Maybe. think would be I a f- bad thing. I feel like this title is taking itself very seriously at the same time, though. <laughs> like, you're going to have a murderous blob thing fighter in a black semi-murderous blob thing <laughs> on screen. <laughs> like, there's only so seriously you can take yourself. Well, some would say when a black killing blob meets a red killing blob, there probably would be carnage, Chris. So There, there definitely would be carnage. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think from what I've seen from behind the scenes of this, I reckon it is going to surprise us. I really hope it does. I just don't think you get Woody Harrelson in a role like that to play such an iconic Marvel villain that you don't you don't meet the landing. You know what I mean? I just, as much as his hairdo was just totally (laughs) out there in think I don't think any of the problems are going to be with Woody Harrelson. No. And I don't think they're going to be, it's going to be with the script, if anything. It's like, Venom 1 was fine, but the, the villain was shocking. That's the issue, but we have got Andy Serkis involved now as well. Who, yeah, well, Andy I think Serkis most of us do director. trust a lot more, and he has worked with Woody Harrelson a lot, so we know Woody Harrelson's gonna nail it. We know Tom yeah. Hardy's probably gonna nail it, and it's, one of your it's gonna rely on the script. Yeah, and I mean, one of your producers is Amy Pascal as well. You know, from yeah. uh, Marvel, Spider Man Homecoming, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse, Far From Home. She's done all the Sony stuff. Yeah. Uh, in terms of spider-man so we can we can keep our fingers crossed and hope that this will be will be good i really hope it's good i hope, hope it's good because it's 
you don't get Andy Serkis on something subpar. You just don't get Andy Serkis on something like this, and it'd be a flop. It just doesn't happen. And they've learned, hopefully, from Venom 1. Yeah, hopefully. That's what I'm thinking. Like They've learned from that, and there's no way you can't have Venom versus Carnage without it being massive in scope. Yeah. So We also got... Tom Hardy posts something on his Instagram, but I was about it, we, to say that. we yeah. reckon it's probably not anything to be concerned with. Uh, but he did post a little photo of him as Venom eating Spider-Man and his yeah, legs sticking so, out, but swiftly deleted it. Yeah, so people were going up in arms because there's apparently been more references to Spider-Man appearing in Venom 2 or the connection down the line of there being some sort of crossover film or something. They've been circulating, like, they've got pushed a lot more in the last couple of weeks. And then Tom Hardy posted this photo, which I will say, it was a shocking Photoshop. Like, like if you've ever seen Tom Hardy's Instagram, it's him, like, posing at gyms with fans and then, like, weird Venom Photoshops. This isn't the first time that we slammed Tom Hardy's Instagram. <laughs> no, do you know what? Like, he, he's a great guy and, like, he is just, like, putting stuff out there because he's he reading, enjoys it. He's reading storybooks for children in the UK. Yeah, that's yeah. great. <laughs> that's great. You think nursery is your ally? Uh, it's not what I'm saying about Tom Hardy. It's about, like, the stuff he chooses to put on his Instagram. Like, this was, yeah. like, a low-rate Photoshop. Like, there's definitely better versions that people have done out there. And let, he just let, posted that on his thing, and it just lit the rumours on fire. Get because he's deleted it, on. it's get gone, you. like, even more viral. Like, I don't think it was anything. I think it was just him posting something that a fan had tagged him in or something. Okay, Chris, but pick that tinfoil hat up off the floor and get it on your head, and let's let's have a quick... All right, wait, quick... wait, wait. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Right, it's Okay, on. you're good. Perfect. I love how quickly you found that tinfoil hat. <laughs> the aliens ain't getting none of my brainwaves. So basically, I think Tom Hardy knows something that we don't know. And potentially, not only because he lit the rumours on fire, he got told to take it down, I believe, for a reason. What would happen if the I third in the trilogy... What would happen, Chris, in the third film of the Spider-Man trilogy if you got Venom and Spider-Man in the film? Do you know what? I honestly think that's what they're trying to build up for, whether it's the third Venom film or the third Spider-Man film. Amy Pascal's already said, like, there will be a crossover at some point. We just don't know where. We don't know when. Mm. But I doubt it's going to be in Venom 2. But where do you go from Carnage? Where do you go after a film with Venom and Carnage in it? You can't... Sinister Six. Well, I mean, yeah, you could go to Sinister Six, but I reckon that's not going to be... I mean, maybe Morbius kind of hints to that as well. But I don't know, man. I I don't know. I think maybe the Sinister Six might be its own film. However, right. however, what if Spider-Man 3... You get everything all linked together, Sinister Six. Because what we also have the acknowledgement of is they are definitely, most totally in the same universe. Because we got the Vulture in Morbius. So that would mean that the standalone villain Sony films, i.e. Venom, Morbius, etc., do link into the Spider-Man universe because of Vulture. Into the MCU. Yeah, exactly. So they link. They've got a link. So what if the third Spider-Man film is the Sinister Six film, but also you do get Venom in there. Maybe that's, Venom... That's what up. I'm thinking is what's going to yeah. be more likely. 
Right, take that tinfoil hat off, Chris. We've got to move this move this ship along. We've got to move it, move it along. I, I will say rolling. as well, there is legally a way that they can have Vulture in their thing without it being linked to the MCU. They can legally do that. It might be them trying to be like, it's all connected. Because if you remember that interview where they were doing an interview or something about the Spider-Man film and Venom was in production at the same time and somebody was like, yeah, Venom's connected to Spider-Man. And you saw Kevin Feige's face just like, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> like, so I like, I reckon like Sony is still trying to be a bit like, oh, it's all connected. Please come yeah. watch our films. Like we're definitely leading up to something like without like getting everything cleared off like but, so but there is a way they go? can have the vulture in there so i don't want people to just be like oh it's 100 percent confirmed it definitely is people believe what you want to believe don't let chris sway you believe what you want to <laughs> believe i'm just trying to not make sure this train goes off the rails i also think it does leave a massive gap for tom holland where his place is in the mcu because we're moving on to the Eternals, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. It's getting out there, Shang-Chi. Spider-Man doesn't fit into any of that. And let's face it, people love Tom Holland's Spider-Man. So I reckon that is the point now where they say, right, we've got these characters established already. Tom Hardy's Venom, Woody Harrelson's Carnage, Jared Leto's Morbius. Why not just link them all together and do something with that? Yeah, I think they'll struggle to fit Spider-Man into the new Marvel stuff, personally. To be honest, uh, I think the Marvel stuff... We can talk about this on a Marvel episode. I think it's going to go in sort of two little directions at the moment. I think they're going to go full cosmic on one side and then have more ground level. I think they're leading up to a Young Avengers, which, with the age that this Spider-Man is, I think he's going to be part of it. I think that's what they're going to try and do. Yeah, true. We can talk about that some other time, because... That's something I want to talk a lot about is where they're going with the Marvel franchise. Love a good moment. love a good Marvel film, don't we? I distinctly love the Young Avengers. <laughs> yeah, so firing off these last little bits of news. Uh, Will Ferrell, Paul Rudd to star in Apple's dark comedy series The Shrink Next Door. Uh, I'll put this on here because Paul Rudd is awesome and he's also uh, Ant-Man, so why not keep it relevant? And so is Will Ferrell. Yeah. Will Ferrell's great as well. So it's what's this cool. about? I have no idea. Um, I've only... I've, kind of put this in there to talk a little bit about Paul Rudd's is it living with myself yeah that's very good so I'm quite excited for that I think that's going to be wicked and then our last story in terms of news is Chris Hemsworth praises the Thor love and thunder script he quote unquote said it's going to be pretty insane Uh, it's going to be one of the best scripts I've read in years it's tiker it is most extreme and at his best. If the version that I read is is the one we get running with, it's going to be pretty insane. I think Taika at his most extreme was probably when he was dressed up as Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> so what are you saying, a Hitler cameo in Thor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jojo Rabbit, Thor 4 crossover. Let's do it. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I th- it makes me really excited. I think there's going to be really I think high. The only news for this. that we're getting about four four so far is it's insane. Yeah, which I think, is all I need. It's all I, I think need. after Ragnarok, if it wasn't insane, people would be disappointed. Like if it was more down to earth, like Thor one and two. After Ragnarok, people would be like, "Oh, what the fuck?" Mm, yeah, true. <laughs> so I think the only way they could go was more insane. I want to see, at some point, I want to see Thor and Jane Foster Thor fighting at one point. 
Thor versus Thor. This is the closest we're going to get to a multiverse fight. This is the closest we're ever going to get to like a Secret Wars battle planet fucking anything that we're going to get in the MCU for a long time. So I yeah. just want to see two versions of the same character fighting. Then again, we had Black Panther, we had Iron Man, we had yeah. Winter Soldier. Never mind, we've had that. Scrap it. Get rid of it. Chuck it out the window. Give me Beta Ray, Bill. Why not? Get just the three of them bit. fighting. Yes. <laughs> All the Thors. Yes. Throg. Get Throg in there. Yeah, th- what, Throg. Well, we've already had a reference to Throg, so... Yeah, yeah, so... In anyway. Ragnarok. So. Yep, yeah, exactly. So we'll move swiftly on, but just before we talk about Extraction, we actually went and watched another film today, didn't we, Chris? Yes, this is probably one of the better X-Men films we've had in the past couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's pushing it. We're talking about Code 8. Like, Code, yeah. definitely not a mutant X-Men film, but it pretty much should have been. It's trying there. It's trying, it's, isn't it? It was. It reminded me very heavily of The Gifted, which was the X-Men TV show on Fox a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think we could probably get away with this, like, just kind of brushing over it and yeah. not spoil, not spoiling it, to be fair. We could probably get away with not spoiling it uh, by just giving our opinion on the ending. Um, but <laughs> if you do, you know, it's a good watch, isn't it? There's some cool yeah. bits. And, so so go on, is... what, was, what was your takeaway from Code 8? Right, I'll give you a quick elevator pitch. We haven't done this for a while. Quick <laughs> elevator pitch, just so people know what it is. It's... Basically, there's people born with superpowers, but they're sort of chastised and segregated inside of society. It stars Robbie and Stephen Amell from... Stephen Amell is Arrow from the Arrowverse, and Robbie Amell, his cousin, played Firestorm in The Flash. It focuses around Robbie Amell's character is down on his luck, he's out of money, his mum's sick, and then he gets in with the wrong crowd, which is Stephen Amell's character, and they go doing some crime shit with superpowers. Yeah, in a nutshell. Yeah. I thought... Considering it was a crowdfunded independent film, this was pretty good. Visually, it was all working for me and everything like that. Like, it looked great. Mm. Like, the CGI, what little CGI they had in there was solid. And, like, the robot guardians looked cool and everything like that. Like you said, there's a sick slow-mo shot in there that I'll let you talk about. Like, everything looked pretty good. It was just the narrative, like, fell off at the end. I felt like mm. they didn't stick the landing like everywhere that the story was going. Like you know, it's at the beginning of the third act; it's going one way, and then it sort of ends a completely different way, which just mm. doesn't sort of work. Yeah, yeah. and it, it left me a little bit unfulfilled at the end. But I mean, mm-hmm. considering that it is a crowdfunded independent film, like this was probably somebody's first feature-length film that they're making. Yeah, I agree. I Fair think that's pretty them. accurate accurate summarize of it uh, i think considering we came off the back of a film that had chris hemsworth in it david harbour in it and it was produced by the russo brothers and i watched code eight straight after that that's why I, I, I thought the quality was gonna be and i just thought the film was just gonna be on a completely different tier but i think these were actually quite similar in a way in terms of what we got i think that i was quite pesantly surprised how much i actually liked code 8 in terms of just a film yeah i think those story points and stuff and i probably wouldn't watch it again but like yeah there's a really cool scene there's these guardians which are like these robotic um terminators essentially that work for the police aren't they yeah in in a nutshell um but they are 
the coolest thing as as this as far as this uh, film goes. They're only in the film like twice. <laughs> yeah, so this is what I was going to say. The why you know you you make it the poster child of the film and it's the best thing in the film and you don't put it in there enough and the bits that you do have of it are sick. So it's probably a, a you know a toss and toss and turn of you don't want to absolutely just put too much of it in you don't want to overwhelm people with it because then that makes the cool bits less impactful yeah but at the same time it's that cool and the bits where they are in there is that cool that you may as well have just made the most of it because that the arcs and stuff and the story and the human elements of this especially the crime lord and stuff that we get is just nothing you may as well reminded me a lot of like visually looked like Matthew McConaughey and the gentleman. I was thinking the exact same thing. I was he thinking like he the, could be uh, like like his his cousin or something. Like, yeah, I'll tell you who he's the perfect blend of. He's the perfect blend of Matthew McConaughey and Kim Coates, who is from Sons of Anarchy. So if you you check this out like after the episode and you'll see what I mean. He was like the perfect blend of Matthew McConaughey. Oh and yeah, Kim yeah, 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 yeah. Perfect blend of the two. I think the reason the Guardians weren't in it more is because, like we said, it was an independent film. I think it was more budgeting because they were the heaviest use of CGI. Yeah, yeah. They they were quite clearly people in costumes, but I think like the yeah whole... with head replacements, weren't they? Because if you notice, like the shape of the robot heads weren't the same size as a human head, so they had to be completely head replaced. Mm-hmm. And then there's the whole drone stuff as well that probably yeah. took up quite a bit of the the old budget. And probably Stephen Amell took up quite a bit of the budget, to be fair. Yeah, probably not as much as you would think. <laughs> probably enough, but not as much as you would think. Um, also, the pyro in it, the female character on the team, she is mm. the villain in season one of Lock and Key. Oh, interesting. I was looking at it, I was like, I recognise you, I recognise you, I recognise you. It took me about ten minutes. I was like, ah, Lock and Key, that's the one. I, th- I think it's I think it's definitely worth a watch. Like yeah. if you want to watch like a, a nice little independent sci-fi film, it had pretty District Nine vibes. So I think yes. like if you if you enjoyed stuff like District Nine, Bright stuff like that, I that's what probably... I was about to say. You literally took the words out of my mouth. Like it felt like Bright. Like world building was great. The effects were great. It just didn't quite stick the landing. If you want to like throw it on on the background while you're working or whatever, it's it's spot on for something like that. Absolutely yeah. right. So on to our main topic is the latest re- release and works from the Russo brothers, directed by Sam Hargrave, featuring Chris Hemsworth, David Harbour, and other actors' names that I will think about before I try and <laughs> is Extraction. On Netflix. So this came yeah. out on Friday the 24th, so it's literally just come out. The day that we're recording this. This is like hot on the pulse, Sam. We finally had a new film to talk about. Can you believe it? It has been a while, hasn't it? What? It's been such a long time since we've had a f- I think our last like three or four episodes haven't been about a particular film and we just picked topics. And to be honest, Chris, I didn't know how much more I was going to be able to think of stuff until a new film came <laughs> out. I think I was yeah. really going to struggle for topics. We, we were but... taking crowdsourced ideas, weren't we? We were about to go dig through the vaults. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Like, well, what film do we like? Okay, let's let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah. So, what is Extraction? Extraction, taken from the wiki, is a black market mercenary who has nothing to lose, is hired to rescue the kidnapped son of an imprisoned international crime lord. But in the murky underworld of weapons dealers and drug traffickers, an already deadly mission approaches the impossible. Elevator pitch. Elevator pitch. Taken from the wiki. Thank you very much. This is his first time directing, isn't it? Yeah, so Sam Hargrave is... This is his directorial debut. Uh, He is known for all of his stunt coordinator work across pretty much every Marvel film that you can think of from the MCU. Most recently, Avengers Endgame to be fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's done all that all that kind of business. So you can expect that the action in this is going to be top-notch, and it absolutely is. It, it we, is pretty much action throughout, isn't it? Yeah, there are spoilery bits of this that we will touch on, but we will give a little bit of warning before we actually spoil any story, because I imagine with the, the listing of this, the casting, that yeah. people are going to watch this. So we yeah, won't definitely. spoil the story, because there are big story plots in there. Um, but yeah, what was what was your thoughts of the film, Chris? I think I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. I think I engaged with it more than I thought I was going to. Um, mm. I was looking forward to see Chris Hemsworth in something like this because before this I hadn't seen 12 Strong, but I went back and watched that as well. I think this is one of Chris Hemsworth's better performances from what little I've seen him in other than Marvel films. I think it was mm-hmm. one of his better performances. It was very stunt-heavy. And I thought the stunt work landed near enough all the time. The only times that I didn't like what I saw on screen was the like twice that we had CGI on screen. Yeah, I agree. Um, I thought that was a little bit shaky. Yeah, I, w- I was surprised by how much I engaged with it. And it follows the Russo brothers thing about uh, a lot of father-son relationships or father-and-children relationships. Like That's what the entire theme of this film was. Mm-hmm. Like you saw yeah, it multiple definitely. different times. Like I'm trying not to say too much without spoiling stuff, but I did enjoy it. I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. It wasn't fantastic. It wasn't like the best film, but for a solid like two hours of action and shooting, it's better than the next five Bruce Willis films that are going to come out where he's an old man trying to get revenge. <laughs> I think the strength of this film was I feel like they let Chris Hemsworth play his himself more in the role you know what i mean it was almost yeah. like little bits of what you'd see in the thor films and stuff where he's not being you know uh the chosen son of odin or whatever he, you know he's, he's being <laughs> he's being more loose and you know i mean the fact that you let him have his australian accent the first well that's what i what, was about to say i think this is the first time i've ever heard him use his accent in a film it's so much better when you compare this to 12 strong in terms of chris hemsworth's <laughs> performance it's miles better his uh, his accent in 12 strong is as ropey as it gets to be fair yeah. do you know what his performance in 12 strong is good I think it. I think his performance in Twelve Strong might be slightly better. Oh, um, that, that's a that's a. I'm I'm going to touch on something in a bit. So it's very interesting that you've said that. In Extraction, he's just kind of playing the typical mercenary. Don't say many words. Don't show any emotion until it gets to that big emotional scene, and then we'll show some emotion type thing. Like yeah. it felt very paint by numbers. Whereas Twelve Strong, I felt like he acted a bit more. Mm. Um. But yeah, his accent was not great in that. No, and the like, thing was... Is I think Australians strong. do struggle with American accents, except for Margot Robbie, she can nail it. 
12 strong is also a true story. So he's probably yeah. quite limited in how much he can kind of flex the role where with this it's him. Uh, I think that this film, I don't think will surprise you in terms of the story arc. I think that is very much what you'd expect from this kind of a film. You yeah. see moments before they happen and you'll notice that when you watch this, particularly towards the end. But yeah. I think the things that do surprise you is the action scenes. I think the um, action scenes that we get in terms of what actually happens within them, in terms of the brutality of them, and just how you know how were the shot, and you can tell we're talking a-list stunt coordination yeah. on here and just yeah it's very brutal very much I, john wick like you've said the way most people went into john wick one is how people should really go into this like you're just expecting to see good fight choreography and good action on screen you like mm-hmm. i don't think anybody went to john wick one for the story until we found out that it was a really great film and then we got two amazing sequels afterwards with yeah, good story sure. in like yeah John Wick 2 and 3, I think, maximise like, the balance between story and action, whereas this mm-hmm. just sort of was like, this is the action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, there was even some of the same moves that you see John Wick do a lot. Like, it's like, okay, we're in close like quarters, pistol combat, like lift the arm up, shoot him in the gut type thing. Like There was a lot of the exact same moves, but the mm-hmm. way it was... It was even shot like John Wick, like tight camera angles, pushing out to long shots to see a bit of hand-to-hand combat and then push back in for the tight angles to show that this is Chris Hemsworth doing a lot of his own gunplay type thing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the action scenes, especially in the first half, were all done in as like one takes. Yeah, yeah, there was a massive, massive scene in this, which was like a car chase that goes into like a a room-by-room scene with uh, military and it was yeah. all just one smooth take. And when you, I, I watched this twice, actually. And when you watch it and you see the camera go in and out of the car. So I yeah. think this will be one of those things that will go like completely viral when it comes out from behind the scenes and stuff. And you see like how this was shot. There's no way that you do this kind of one shot either. A, you do not not film the behind the scenes or something like that if it's done <laughs> in camera. Yeah. And... You know, if it is CGI, then it looks awesome anyway. Yeah, I think there was, I think there was slight bits of CGI, like, like you said, when it passes through like the back window and stuff like that. Obviously, it gets smashed out so that it appears like it's the camera going through the thing, but like you can tell there's like hidden cuts in there, covered covered over with CGI. Yeah, so there's actually- no way that you could get a a thing inside the car with the roof and stuff without replacing the roof and everything. Yeah, so interestingly enough. Uh, you had both Sam Hargrave and his brother in this as well, who did stunts, uh, stunt stuff for Logan and Atomic Blonde. There's quite a lot of pictures okay. of Sam Hargrave at John Wick premieres, so I don't know whether he did a little bit of stuff with that. I can't see it on IMDb. He might have even been cast in it, maybe like maybe doing some of the stunt performances for other characters. Mm. but yeah no um i think yeah i think it's a brilliant film i think the shots and stuff there's a lot of cool kills in this isn't there there's a yeah there's a, a table to the head that kills someone and snaps yeah, his neck back that's near the beginning of that isn't it like yeah there's then a rake to the head yeah do you know what i thought i was like when you find out later on that his surname is rake and i was thinking i was like i, I thought about this since watching it why is there a rake in a downbeat apartment 
in a city where there are no plants to be raked at all. Why is there a rake there? They clearly, somebody was just like, oh, this will be a cool kill, won't it? Let's put that in. Yeah, maybe it's uh, maybe it was a torture weapon or something. I don't yeah, know. But I also thought, uh, like, because you find out his surname is Rake as well, I was like, maybe they were trying to do something deep and meaningful. <laughs> but well, I don't um, think it was. It, I think maybe that was done purely for the trailer. Have you seen the trailer for Extraction? Uh, yeah. They touch right on that. They put those two scenes where you find out his last name and you see the rake scene. They are side by side in the trailer. <laughs> well, there you go. So, yeah. so it's so on the nose. So, yeah, it's definitely on purpose. It's I think purpose. the coolest kill in this is at the beginning of like the final act, isn't it? And like uh, Chris Hemsworth characters, Tyler Rake is in a building by himself trying to escape there's like a load of guys that he's fighting and he pins one up against like um boxes or crates or something like that he's fighting another one and he swings one of them round by his shoulders so he just takes his leg and snaps another guy's fucking head with his legs while he's flipping him around it's just so brutal and it happens so quick that you sort of left go wait wait did he just what Like, yeah. that was the bit that I rewound. Like, he spins this guy around in the air, like, snapping some guy's neck with his body. Yeah, like, my reaction was, like, I went, like, leant back in my chair and went, whoa! And had to, like, I literally, I was, I was going to write in the notes, I was like, how many, like, oof moments did you have? Because, like, me and Sam have this thing when we're watching a film together, and, like, something like that happens, we're both like, oh! <laughs> and I was yeah. like, I know Sam for a fact... Or you would be like, oh, what? Yeah, Sam did go, oof, when, that, when <laughs> yeah. these, some of these kills happen. Especially with, like, some of the, just some of the military assault rifle kills. Just, just brutal. Just yeah. really cool. Really, really, really cool stuff. Uh, did you notice what weapon he was using in this, Sam? Uh, well, Chris, we've played enough Call of Duty. I believe he was using a M13 with a monolithic suppressor with a holographic sight. <laughs> It was that. It was actually an M4A1, I believe. Oh, uh, well, close M4A1. Enough, yeah, he was using an integral sight suppressor, <laughs> wasn't he? Yeah, we've been playing so much Call of Duty during lockdown. Tactical stock <laughs> <laughs> to increase that movement speed and ADS. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it. It's literally what it Chris Hemsworth is going to be in season four of Call of Duty. That's what oh, how cool would that be as a skin? I mean, Alex kind of looks a bit like him, but not quite close enough. Yeah. yeah, it was Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, yeah. get on. And you to can get Chris Hemsworth to do all the promotional stuff for it as well. Do it, season yeah. four. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you could get a John Wick slash Chris Hemsworth mashup for season four. They may well, as well. We, we had John Wick in Fortnite, so I don't think they're going to do it in this. But do you know what would be cool if you do get Chris Hemsworth in it? Then like one of his character skins can be him in Twelve Strong, and the other one can be him dressed as fucking Thor. <laughs> Imagine playing Warzone dressed as Thor. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Look, we'll save our Call of Duty chat for another time. This is a film. <laughs> That's podcast, a different Chris. podcast. Yeah. That's a different podcast. Uh, yeah. Is there anything else that you want to touch on in terms of extraction before we talk a little um, bit about how the story wraps up and our thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, it, I felt very heavy Terminator and Terminator 2 vibes in this as well. Mm-hmm. Like you yeah. said, with like the car chases and stuff like that. And one of the characters at the beginning is sort of like an unrelenting like he's following them isn't he and that yeah. felt very like terminator 2 to me yeah definitely i really liked that um whole little 
plot. I think that was probably a stronger plot point than what the rest of the film was, if I'm being honest. I think that that should have been, that should have been it. But yeah, we'll, we'll touch on I, that anyway. Yeah, I wasn't... Yeah, we'll touch on that. I'll tell you my thoughts about that in a bit. Um, yeah, also, don't watch this film if you don't like children coming to harm. Because there is yeah. too much of that in this film. Yeah, like, I mean, woof. not like... Not like visually. Like, you don't... I mean, you see it, but you don't see it. But... yeah. Yeah, it definitely implies that it happened. I mean, Chris Chris Hemsworth punches some kids, doesn't he? That happens. <laughs> yeah, but those kids that had it coming to <laughs> they gave consent to Sam Hargrave for it to happen. Yeah, that's I, I not loved, confirmed. I loved, I loved that. <laughs> I loved that scene. He was trying his hardest not to do stuff to him. Like he could have definitely just like taken these kids out in two seconds and brought no harm to him. But yeah, he but didn't that... want to hurt kids, so he was yeah. just like backhanding him just to like disorientate him, just like fucking get away from me. <laughs> but the scene with the van was just like I think that was probably a good way of doing that. And it was That's almost, what I was saying, like he was yeah. just like backhanding him just there, like fucking get away. <laughs> I yeah, don't want to hurt it you. Was, yeah, it was like a bit comedic as well. And you could yeah. just tell he was just wasn't breaking a sweat with it. And yeah. it was like this kind of lead up where it was like, you know, it looked like it was going to be a an outmatch because you've got like these machetes and stuff. And it was like, like building it up to be like a proper confrontation. And then it's yeah. just like, bam. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, I think that's all I can really talk about without covering off spoilers now but in terms of what you would say about it would you say it is a a what to do or what, what was our <laughs> last what was our last rating thing um uh our last one was video game based so we're not gonna do that one we'll no. uh, we'll go back to the number rating system <laughs> okay <laughs> what would you give it out of 10 sam yeah i give it a solid eight out of ten. Eight out of ten i would probably say seven yeah yeah i'd say an eight out of ten for watchability definitely yeah. i think that's where it gets it for me i think there is a lot of yeah i think there's story bits and stuff but i think as a film i think like in terms of if you're well into your action films yeah solid eight out of ten but i do agree with your seven out of ten as well yeah that's how i feel about your eight i was like yeah could go anywhere between them perfectly meet in the middle yeah i wouldn't want to give it an eight myself because i feel like that's verging too close to ten and yeah. there's like like eight and nine is like a very distinct point where it's a great film, but you That's can't reserved. give it a perfect ten out of ten, can you? Yeah, eights, nines, and tens out of tens are reserved for good Star Wars and Marvel stuff, <laughs> <laughs> or and potentially DC stuff, depending on what we're going to get from future. <laughs> so yeah, DC I, would, films. I would say I would say seven. Yeah, cool. So what's your uh, going into spoilers, spoilers in terms of the actual now. in terms of the actual story points of this film? What was your opportunities with this? The way it kept building up, like, different layers of, like, fathers and sons and the impacts that fathers have on the children and their legacy type thing and stuff like that. The way they kept building on that with each different character like that really surprised me and impressed me. That's what connected me to the story more than anything. So, obviously, you find out that Chris Hemsworth's character had a son who died of lymphoma. Uh, yeah. when he was six years old that was tragic like yeah that was that sad. got hit me emotionally because i kind of like how they reacted to that like it wasn't just like he was there for it it happened and now like he's a mercenary because he couldn't save his own son so now he'll 
save other peoples. I was like, that's kind of what they did, but with the fact that he wasn't there for it, and you think, oh no, it happened when he wasn't there, and then you find out that he volunteered to go on a third tour of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. That sort of hit me a bit more. Like, like, like you said, he's not brave. You know what I mean? Each of these plots did sort something for me. Like, we've got essentially the bodyguard of the kid, essentially, isn't it? Who's sent to get Chris Hemsworth to save the kid and then kill him so he doesn't have to pay him. When you find out about his family and stuff as well, and then because you really dis- start to dislike him, and then you see that he knows he's probably not going to come back alive from this, and he has the conversation with his young son on the phone and stuff. What did you think of David Harbour's character? <sighs> I think that was so black and white. I saw that come in. He's barely in the film. He's in it for two scenes, and you can just tell from the first second he's on screen he's going to stab him in the back. Yeah, he has that whole unstable vibe to him, doesn't uh, he's, it? It was too cut and dry, that, for me. Like... I could have done without David Harper in this. <laughs> yeah. Like I could have done without his character. Like he was good in the role with what he was in it for. But mm. it was so unnecessary and it was so paint by numbers. And then what did you think of the other um mercenary, the the guy who was sent by the kid's dad to bring him back who well, is... that's the one that i was talking about the one that yeah. you find out it's got his own kid and stuff i surprisingly started to enjoy that storyline like i said like i thought i was just going to dislike him and like i it was cool when he was like the unrelenting t2 scenes where like he was just like chasing him you get like we said that awesome one shot action scene which starts in a car chase and it goes to a building skirmish doesn't it and then mm-hmm. they roll out of the building, like they actually both fall out of the building, and then it's a combat on the street, which is then followed up in the same one shot with two out-of-nowhere shit-your-pants car crashes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, they, these vehicles make no sound until they're already hitting somebody. And also, people can survive being hit by a truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hit by a truck into another truck. Yeah, and I'm like, sure at that point where he drives is straight over his body. Like I'm yeah, almost that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. I, I was, was like, thinking I was like they've always set up the environment so you understand what's happening with like the action and everything like the environment what is it when they lay out the scene and this is you know what the scene is like, you know where everything is so that you can understand where the action's going. Yeah. So yeah, they yeah. do that really well and then like you said like he drives into him front forward so we should be right in front of the truck and then the kid gets in the truck and the truck just drives forward so surely there should be another truck and a body in front of them yeah it should be a bit harder to drive forward but we'll, we'll allow it because otherwise <laughs> he would have ran him over and that would have been the end of him and i really enjoyed his character so my what the way i feel like this should have gone is you should have took the whole drug lord part of it out of it by halfway through we didn't need it they should have just been someone who was constantly like after them but not as prominent as what we got that should have right. been the third force if you get me it sh- i feel like this film through the whole of the film should have been those two up against each other until the very end we should have still had that in act three and then by the time it comes to the end of act three you have that moment that they realize that this is going to be the best thing for the kid and stuff and Maybe then they turn against it, you know, and I, I don't know. I just feel like that happened too soon because the best parts of this film for me were the bits where 
they were going head to head because it was like the unstoppable force meets the immovable object kind of thing. Yeah. And having all that, having all those military and those people in the between, in the middle of it, is is awesome. And I think at the end where Chris Hemsworth gets hit, you know, shot by that kid who was just out for revenge the whole time. Yeah. yeah, it's a nice plot point, but it also kind of undermines the whole like this mercenary. He's managed to take out hundreds and hundreds of guys throughout this film, and you know this kid gets the last shot. And I know that's probably a, a done on purpose to bring that back, but I feel like maybe the parts that people have a problem with may have been that 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 happened and this whole drug lord part was just kind of shoved into it if you get me yeah see um, the my thing was though with that drug lord storyline is it's again it's setting up like the exact opposite of what chris hemsworth character is becoming with ovi like it ovi is becoming his surrogate son at that point isn't he? he's putting on a lot of feelings towards him like and that's mm. reflected in the final scene like mm. and the drug lord basically takes this other kid under his wing and he shows like the destructive power of being a parent and like what yeah, you can imp- impart on your child i don't i agree he probably shouldn't have got the last shot but they sort of did that thing where every single thing that they said got followed up with like ovi has the profound statement of like it's not falling into the river that will kill you it's staying submerged in it so which paid off no, no, literally. It's, it's the other it's the other way around, isn't it? It's the he says it's not it's staying above the it's being in the river that kill it, that, no. Yeah, wait, it's it not the, the fall into the river that'll kill you, it's staying under the water. Yeah, yeah. yeah Which is what it. we see Chris Hemsworth character does at the beginning when he jumps off the hill and it's what happens when he dies to this kid as well. He falls yeah. into the river, doesn't he? So the last few bits I kind of want to want to touch on as like a story point of view was the drug lord getting shot by the female character that's with Chris Hemsworth throughout the film. What did you think of that as like a wrap up? Was that okay? You... So I think she's to blame for Chris Hemsworth dying because she is there looking at him holding a gun, <laughs> covering his six, and then she uh, puts a gun down. This kid clearly walks out in the middle of the bridge for a bit, holding a gun to Chris Hemsworth's back. And she doesn't react in the slightest until after he's shot. This was my problem. That they could predict <laughs> they could predict everyone round a corner. They could take down a helicopter. She could take down and find a sniper. Yeah. And it would have been fine, I reckon, if that sniper had got the last hit. That would have been fine. Give a bit of time for Chris Hemsworth to have a moment with those characters. But Yeah, I think those characters were just like the other mercenary characters were so stupid in this film. They were the worst part of it for me. Yeah, he should have just. Were, yeah. He didn't need a team or anything, did he? No, he didn't need a team. He, maybe he, you he, could. Maybe that could have been David Harbour's character instead. Like when he couldn't just drive him to this boat and leave. Maybe he had to get in contact with David Harbour's character, who's out of the business. He's a colleague type thing, and David Harbour could organize the helicopter extraction. Maybe. And then the last thing I want to kind of touch on from what I want to talk about is the very last scene that we get where it leads to someone else being on the side of the pool. What was your thoughts about that? So I think it it's pretty clear that it's Tyler there that looks exactly like him. And I was like, okay. But at the same time, like, I don't know, like, his death scene was, like, so poignant for the character, it felt like that was 
what the character wanted. But then, obviously, like I said, they paid everything off literally. Like, it's not the fall into the river, it's staying submerged in it. So he's finally decided to not let the world drag him down and not let the death of his son drag him down and carry on with his life. That's clearly what that meant, which I like that, but it was a bit too on the nose with everything. They made it seem like the death was what he wanted, but then him reappearing at the end kind of undercut the fact that that dreamlike sequence was whenever he was slipping away from life, like when he was trying to drown himself at the beginning, when he was like injured and losing blood and everything, he kept having visions like this heavenly image of rejoining his son. So it felt Mm. like that was like the payoff that he wanted. He was like, right, okay, I've, I've saved somebody's son. I can now be in peace with my son in heaven type thing. And then it undercut that by him still being alive. Well, I mean, we assume he's still alive. It, yeah. I, how how on earth someone survives being shot by a sniper rifle and then being shot in the neck for that long, losing blood, and then falls into a river and gets washed away? And plus, there's lots of tie-ins to that, where they like sit underneath the lake and stuff, and he sits underneath the pool. That's a beautiful parallel to the beginning of the film yeah. as well. Another interesting take on that that I saw was that we assume that Tyler is still dead, Chris Hemsworth's character. Ovi is having the same kinds of visions, but in a different way to what Tyler was having with his son. But obviously because he saw him as a father figure, potentially he is having those same kinds of visions of like seeing him in places and stuff where he's not actually there, which is kind of what Chris Hemsworth was seeing, but we were seeing it from his perspective. So that that's also another interesting take on it i think yeah. maybe the you I, I was it in torn. both ways yeah yeah i was 50 50 because i couldn't figure out which way the film wanted me to interpret it as and i think because everything was so literal i think the fact that he was in the same because whenever chris was seeing his son and stuff it was in a completely different scene and it was when he was submerged wasn't it it was when he was below the waterline whether metaphorically or literally like if yeah. Ovi had seen like an image of Chris under the water with him, then I would have taken it as, oh, he's just sort of like having a memory of him. Yeah, it's more of like a, it was a shadow, whereas with him being above the water, that symbolized to me, and obviously, like I said, with everything being so literal, that he was actually back, which mm. I, I'm 50-50 on like whether he should come back or not, but do you know what? It could potentially lead to a sequel. <laughs> Yeah, I think I agree. I think that's probably what they're going to do. They're probably going to see how well it does, and then that'll decide on whether he's actually alive yeah. or not, whether or not we get a sequel. Yeah. And then Ovi becomes a badass mercenary. So <laughs> the very last thing I want to kind of get into here um, before we wrap this up, Chris, okay. is before you mentioned about 12 Strong, and Collider actually put an article out today with the... Uh, every non-thor chris hemsworth performance ranked from best to worst so we're okay. not going to we're not going to talk about these we're just going to go through the list so actually bottom of the list at number 14 was 12 strong okay then we had black hat at number 13 right we then had 12 rush which i thought should have been a lot higher because i think rush is a pretty good film Oh, I thought you meant 12 Rush. I was like, I've never heard of a film called 12 Rush. <laughs> 12 Strong, rush. 12 Week, 12 Rush. <laughs> <laughs> he likes films with numbers in the name. 12 yeah. especially. Uh, number 11 was Cash, with a dollar sign in the, in the title. It's very, very on the nose. Number 10 was Vacation. Number 9 was Red Dawn. 
number eight was Men in Black International, which I've still not seen yet. Have you seen Men in Black International? Uh, no. No? Number seven, Snow White and the Huntsman. Uh, six, Bad Times at the El Royale. I've not seen this, but I did really want to watch it. I thought it. that one was potentially going to be higher. Yeah, have you seen that film? Uh, I've not seen all of it, no, but I think people seem to like that, and it seemed his most out-there performance from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Number five was Extraction. Number four was In the Heart of the Sea. And number three was The Cabin in the Woods. I, I always forget he's in that. Yep, yeah, I love that yep. film. Number two was Star Trek. <laughs> Which is in it for five minutes at the beginning. So can you guess what number one's going to be? No, I can't think. Ghostbusters 2016 is number oh, one. Oh, oh. <laughs> right, okay. I'm, I'm disliking Collider more with every article that this seems to be putting out. <laughs> he is hilarious in that. It, he is great, but I wouldn't say it's the best performance. Like, I have, Well, then again, he's clearly not like that in reality. He's playing a complete idiot whose comedic timing was really good. So on that bombshell, Chris, we're going to wrap this episode up. Um, so yeah, in summary, go check out <laughs> Extraction. It's also based off a graphic novel as well, isn't it, Chris? Do you want to just mention what that is? The graphic novel was called... Uh, is it Ciudad? Ciudad, maybe. Uh, basically, it follows the same story that the film did, only he's rescuing a drug lord's daughter, and it it takes place in India again, so it is probably Sudad. It is a real city. But that was written by Andy Parks, with the story outline being written by Andy Parks uh, and Joe and Anthony Russo, so they actually had a hand in the comic book as well, which is, I think, why Joe Russo wrote the film, because he already knew the story well enough and why they were producers on it. So be sure to go check that out. And where can people find us, Chris? So you can follow us on Instagram, at Get Real Pod, you can follow us on Twitter at Get Real Pod. Follow us on Facebook, Get Real Pod, and our email address is GetRealPodUK at gmail dot com. Get in contact with us on any of them. Share us on Instagram. Let everybody know about the podcast and let us know what you want us to cover in the future. What you thought of Extraction, Sam? Where can you listen to the podcast? So you can listen to the podcast pretty much anywhere you like to get your daily dose of podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. And recently we have been moved onto iHeartRadio, Podcast Addict, Deezer, uh, which is another cool music streaming site, and Podchaser. Uh, We are currently And Pandora. Well, we're currently in the list for getting on Pandora. Uh, We are getting there. Um, Your favourite podcast podcast co-host sam is working very hard on trying to get us on pandora so we sam will... is great at the admin stuff <laughs> <laughs> we will get there but yeah you can check us out pretty much anywhere uh, wherever you listen to us make sure you leave us a like rating review don't forget you can check us out on youtube for other audio versions of the podcast make sure you leave a comment on there a thumbs up share us with your friends all that good stuff and there will be video content coming in the future Also, if you're one of the lucky few people that managed to see the YouTube version last time that was weirdly messed up, you got a nice little sneak peek at some stuff. (laughs) Did you actually watch that? It, like, started in the middle of the podcast and we were, like, pitch-shifted up, like, 12 tones. It It was weird, man. I was so glad that I decided to just check it. I don't know why I checked that one. It was like I had like podcast spidey <laughs> yeah, senses. Yeah, the one that... time I didn't check it and I had a problem with the export, I was like, ah, no, it's probably fine. <laughs> I just didn't think I was too busy. And then, wow. So whoever watched that, they got a treat. 
that's it from us this week so make sure you're all staying safe during your lockdowns make sure to stay at home and listen to plenty of podcasts and look after all those around you we will catch you next week thank you goodbye